Praise God, you guys. Uh, turn with me, if you will, to 1 Peter or 1 Timothy chapter 2. Uh, very interesting verse that we're on, and I'm actually going to kind of use it as a launching pad where we're not going to actually get into exegesis of the text itself because we're going to look at that text uh, in more depth and the context of what Paul is talking about next uh, Wednesday, which I'm really looking forward to. Very, very important portion of Scripture, especially in the days, days that we're living. But in 1 Timothy chapter 2, we read in verse 11, a woman must quietly receive instruction with entire submissiveness. But do not allow a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man, but to remain quiet, quiet, for it was Adam who was first created and then Eve. And it was not Adam who was deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression. But women will be preserved through bearing of children if they continue in faith and love and sanctity with self-restraint. Father, be with us and use us to your glory this evening. You know, uh, as I'm approaching this text, and I want to get into what it says because there's so much controversy surrounding what the text actually says, and it's actually denied what the text has said, even though it's plain what it says. Uh, God made it clear to us. He didn't want us to have confusion on this subject. Uh, but he's just addressed the, the role of men in the church in the verses just prior to this. Then he goes into the role of women, and, and he's not talking about whether women are, he's not saying women are less than men or men are less than women. It's, he's talking about different roles. The Bible says in Christ there's neither male nor female, amen, that at the foot of the cross Jesus died for our sins. We're all, we all share the same humanity, okay? Uh, males aren't greater than females and vice versa, but they're given different roles. What's happened in the world today that we live in is that uh, we're prone, the human heart is prone to idolatry. It's like a, you know, compared to a factory, an idol-making factory, you know. People just want to worship something because they've been created to worship. They, they turn away from the one true living God and they worship things, you know. And that what happens is you see an exaltation of men or women or in, in various ways. But when I was thinking about this text and we just did a podcast earlier today, uh, Good Fight Ministries, Chad and I and Tony and what have you. And when we did the podcast, we did it, we're doing a four-part series. We usually do them on Thursdays. We did this on Tuesday because we're doing four parts. I think they're going to all air probably on Fridays because we're dealing with, uh, you know, the celebration of Reformation Week, which is, here we are, you know. Uh, at the end of the month, uh, Martin Luther was known for attacking his 95 theses. He was an Augustinian monk, a Roman Catholic monk. And he started what's called the Protestant Reformation because the Roman Catholic Church was ruling the, that, you know, Europe and basically was the largest and most expansive religion on the planet. But it had twisted the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the Roman Catholics were charging people. They weren't letting people read the Bible because, of course, if you read the Bible, you'd realize that Catholicism was a sham. Uh, and that's why we in part call, you know, much of the reign of Catholicism, the dark ages. They didn't have the light of scripture from a spiritual standpoint. It's what the dark ages were. They didn't have the light of scripture. And of course, the Roman Catholic Church says that their church is above the Bible. In fact, when the Pope speaks at cathedra, you know, gives a papal bull, 
interesting phrase for it. Uh, it's considered fully authoritative. He can't make a mistake. Even though the Catholic Church now looks back at a lot of their popes and says they were heretics, they were wicked men, you know. So it's just, it's such a sham. But uh, I wanted to talk a little, so we're doing a four-part series on Catholicism, and today we did one on, on how it's a different gospel. And thousands and thousands and thousands of Christians have had their bloodshed and clinging to the Bible and refusing to follow the Roman pontiff, the, the Roman pope, and refusing to uh, bow down before a wafer of bread and worship it and pretend it's Jesus and say, no, that's idolatry. They've been put to death. They've been killed. And during the Protestant Reformation, the Roman gospel was considered, and it is by many Christians today, a false gospel. In fact, when Martin Luther tacked his 95 theses there in the door of the Wittenberg, in Wittenberg there, uh, a lot of it was against indulgences because Christians, professing Christians, were being charged to get their loved ones out of purgatory because they wanted to build cathedrals. They wanted more money. So they said, hey, you know what? If you give the Catholic Church a certain amount of money, that money will go into kind of like, you know, considered meritorious to spring people that are burning for their sins out of purgatory. You see in Catholicism, they teach that if you go to purgatory, well, after you die, you go to purgatory to pay for your venial sins. Your mortal sins, they're, they're, you know, they were taken care of, okay, but if you still have venial sins, unconfessed sins, uh, the blood of Christ isn't precious enough to have so taken care of that to where you won't be damned. So you have to suffer for them in purgatory and burn in those flames until you've actually paid off those sins. That is such a false doctrine. You know, the Mormon church, which also, all the, every cultic group, even though Rome you might not call a cultic group because it's a world religion, but if you called it a cultic group, it would be considered the biggest cult in the world, that along with Islam. And all the cults or, and the world religions that are anti the true gospel, like Mormonism says, hey, you know what? The gospel, you know, the Bible's true as long as it's translated correctly and rightly interpreted. It's only rightly interpreted when it squares with what we say. You know, what Joseph Smith taught. And where it contradicts Joseph Smith, that's where the Bible was mistranslated. That's how they shift the authority of God from God and his word to the cultic group. Like, let's say I taught some strange teaching here, some unbiblical teaching, you know. And uh, it was just some really way out teaching, you know, saying that everybody's got to give, you know, $5,000 a year to the pastor, Okay. And that's what God is saying. And then you say, where does it say that in the Bible? I say, well, the Bible doesn't have it because it was taken out of the Bible. Or, uh, you know, God has given me new revelation. That's how these cultists work. The Bible says not to go beyond what is written. Amen? The Bible says test everything. Hold fast to that which is good. James, or in Isaiah chapter 8, 20, it says, the law unto the testimony of things. Do not speak according to this words because there's no light in them. Amen? So we're supposed to test everything. Hold fast to that which is good. And, uh, Mormonism, you know, teaches a works righteousness. You can't get into the celestial kingdom unless you go through the temple marriage and the temple recommend. You can't even get a temple recommend until you tithe for your, you're paying for your salvation, basically. You're paying for eternal life. The Watchtower says, the Jehovah's Witness organization, that if you just have the Bible and you don't use the Watchtower magazines, you'll be in darkness in two years. 
However, if you just use Watchtower magazines, but you don't have the Bible, you'll have the light of God. That's what they state. That's how cults work. Roman Catholicism says you must follow the pontiff, the Roman pontiff, if you're to have salvation. So what I want to talk about here is, here we see that God's given us roles, you know? And I'm not really getting into this text. I'm just using this as a launching pad because I don't want to go through what I taught uh, in our podcast because I want you guys to hear those podcasts, all four of them, uh, when you can. We always have something on Roman Catholicism that's really strong that you can sink your teeth in, you can help friends to come to Christ. Thankfully, millions of people have come out of Roman Catholicism to Christ. You know that, right? How many of you grew up Catholic before you came to Christ? Raise your hand. Okay. All over this room. Praise the Lord, by the way. Amen. Lord is good. I'm seeing all these smiles and heads shaking up and Angie and Diana, both of you, right? Praise God all over this room. So uh, God is good, amen? And Catholics are, sh- Catholics, when they're Catholics, are shocked when you sh- share with them because I, I, Catholics are the easiest people to win to Christ, I found. Because when I'm on the streets, because they, they do believe the Bible is the word of God in some way, usually. And so when I open the scripture, they don't go, well, what's he, they're like, I guess I'm supposed to believe in the Bible. I'm a Catholic. And then when you show them scriptures, I'll ask the Catholic, I go, how, how are you going to get to heaven when you die? If you stood before the Lord and he said, why should I let you into my heaven? What would you say? And almost always they say this, because I'm a good person. Because I've done a lot of good things. Because I obey the Catholic church. Because I'm a Catholic and I'm, you know, I'm doing what the church says. And then I'll share with them scriptures, like Titus 3, 5, that God saved us, not on the basis of the things that we've done in our works of righteousness, but according to his, the virtue of his mercy, right? I'll share with them Ephesians 2, 8, 9, by grace you save through faith, and not of yourselves the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast, those types of scriptures. And they'll trip out. It's like a brand new revelation, And today I want to talk about Mary and the exaltation of Mary. We're talking about roles here in 1 Timothy 2, verse 11. Because Mary is not the Mary of the Bible, the Mary of Catholicism. She's the biggest cult leader on the planet. The Miriam cult is the biggest cult on the planet, the most fanatical cult. There's huge parades with her image through the streets throughout different countries. It's all over the place. There's apparitions and appearances of Mary supposedly that happen everywhere. I believe these are demonic. We want to look at that a little bit. But it's interesting when you look at this whole plan of salvation, the Bible actually says we're saved by grace through faith, not of what? Not of ourselves, not of works, lest anyone should boast. We won't go to heaven and say, man, Lord, I kept the seven sacraments of Rome, you know, I, I, you know, I bowed down to Mary. I wore the brown scapular. I, I believe that Jesus was tra- changed into bread and, and he was there being sacrificed by the priest again and bowed down to him after the priest took him to heaven. You won't be able to say that. Oh, by the way, those aren't good works anyway because those aren't from God, those things I just mentioned. I mean, most things I mentioned, I have to think of what I mentioned. Maybe I might have got one right, <laughs> but I don't think anything I mentioned was something that's... Uh, that the way they teach it is not biblical. So it's really, really interesting. We're going to be in heaven. We're not going to be able to brag about anything we did. We're going to be saying, remember the, in heaven, what do they do? They cast, cast their crowns before the throne. Amen. And he, we're unworthy. He's worthy. Amen. We have to keep that in mind. 
That's all about what he's done for us. So as we look at this, I think it's important uh, that you realize that right now, there's, there's millions of people that pray to Mary daily. Millions. There's about a billion, almost a billion followers or th- those who claim to be Roman Catholic on the planet. That's a ton of people, folks. That's 10 hundred million, okay? A million is a lot. Think of a thousand million, right? Think of a billion, 10 hundred. You know, you're talking about... <laughs> A thousand million, by the way. That's like, wow. Now, there, by the way, I tell people, I have, I used to say it with my kids, now I'm a little older, right? So I say, if, if my grandkids come up to me, they all start talking at once, I can't keep track. I'm like, whoa, 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 wait till he's done. Wait till he's done. Wait a second. Two of them come up, and I'll give you like, whoa, whoa, wait one second. Okay, I'll, I'll answer that in a second. Can you imagine millions of people talking to you at once? Could you, could you, could you listen to them all and answer their request? Because that's what we're told Mary's doing. That means she would have to be beyond what? Beyond human. Amen? So this is very, very serious. And the name of this message is called Exalting Jesus. Not Mary. Amen? You want to exalt Jesus in your life. Amen? Now it's interesting. The Lord gives us his commandments in the Old Testament. And he says in Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 24, not to worship idols, he says, because Lord your God is a consuming fire. His nature, God is love, 1 John 4, 8, 1 John 4, 16, God is love, you know? God is holy, 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 holy is the Lord God Almighty, Isaiah chapter 6, amen? God is light, the Bible says God is light, in him there's no darkness at all, amen? You know, so it's the, the Bible also says God is spirit, Jesus says that God is spirit, those who worship must worship in spirit and truth. And we love all those truths, but the Bible also says over and over again, all the New Testament, that God is a consuming fire, and oftentimes when it references him being a consuming fire, it's talking about his wrath, the context. In 424 of Deuteronomy, it's talking about not worshiping idols. For we, God is a jealous God, it says, in a consuming fire. He'll have no other gods before him. And in Exodus chapter 20, the first few verses, the very first commandment is thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, right? Right, we're not supposed to serve him and we'll have no other gods before him, right? And he says, and not to bow down, before any idols. Not to make an image of him on earth or in heaven or under the earth. Don't make an image of him and don't bow down before these things. And by the way, the Roman Catholic Church has kind of, you know, made two, when you look at the first and second commandment, they kind of submerge them together and quote the first part and they leave out not bowing down before idols out of their list of 10 commandments and some of their catechisms. Because they don't want people to see not to bow down before these images. Because when you go to Roman Catholic Church and you go into a Roman Catholic Church, you go to a Catholic wedding, what are they doing? They're bowing before images. They'll be bowing before an image of Mary, you know? And they don't want, so they'll actually tweak the commandments. Because they actually say in the Roman Catholic Catechism that you have to obey those Ten Commandments that God gave us. By the way, we're not under the Ten Commandments. We're under not the law of Christ, the law of Moses, but we're under what? The New Covenant, amen? And they don't even get the Sabbath right. They switched the Sabbath to Sunday. God didn't switch it to Sunday. The Sabbath was on Saturday, amen? Amen. But in the New Covenant, we're not told to keep the Sabbath. We're told to put faith in Christ and that He is our Sabbath, amen? He is our rest. It says in Titus chapter 2 that, I'm sorry, it says in Colossians chapter 2 that He was a shadow 
or the Sabbath was a shadow. Let no one judge you according to a Sabbath day because the reality is found in Christ. Jesus said, come to me, all of you are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you what? Rest for your souls, amen? So the Roman Catholic Church says you have to keep a bunch of things, not just certain commandments that are part of the old covenant, but they say you have to keep their traditions, their teachings, their new commandments that aren't in the Bible. And Jesus warned about those who take the doctrines of men, Jesus said, to watch out for them. He said to the Pharisees that you teach the doctrines of men as the commandments of God, and you nullify the word of God, he said to them. That's what Roman Catholicism does. Remember what the Pharisees did? They added all these different teachings onto the Jewish law. Do you remember that? And they made God's word void because people were trying to follow these traditions. Well, the Roman Catholic Church has done the same thing with the New Covenant. They've added on all these traditions that you have to keep to be right with God. I did a little shopping today and uh, I was coming out of Sprouts and I had a bag, of, I had some fruit, you know, and I think a, I think a kefir, you know. And as I was walking, there was a gentleman named Albert uh, sitting there. He, if you go outside Sprouts, you'll know what I'm talking about. A lot of times there's a guy sitting outside Sprouts and he has a uniform on and, and the uniform, nice guy, you know, I introduced myself to him and witnessed to him for about a half hour. But he has a shirt on and the tag was Missionary Church of the Disciples of Jesus Christ. And I passed him up and just kind of gave him a head nod like, hey, how you doing? And, and I thought, man, does the Lord want me to witness to him? And then I thought, man, I got a packed day. I still got to get ready for a podcast. I've got to do some marriage counseling. I've got my Bible study tonight. Uh, Lisa, you know, she's gone off. I just dropped her off Steve's house, and her and Carol and Mary took off. And I was like, and as I was putting the stuff in the truck, uh-oh, I think my kefir went bad. I thought I left it in there. I thought, oh, my fr the fruit will be fine. That's right, I have kefir in there. Okay. Anybody like really sour kefir? <laughs> it's only a small amount, so I'll be okay. Uh, so anyway, I thought, you know what? Because I, I, my reasoning was I got a little thing from them in the past I, from another guy I grabbed. I wanted to see what they believed. I didn't want to donate any money in case I'm presenting a false gospel. And sure enough, they are teaching that you have to keep the Sabbath. I'm like, I'm reading in my truck, my little truck. I'm like, whoa, what in the world? Man, what a bummer. So I've been meaning to talk to the guy that gave that to me. And I said, oh, it's not that guy. But I've, but I've seen two or three different people now. So I thought, I'll talk to this guy later when I have more time. I thought, later might not be here. You know, he may not be here. You know, I'm going to go share with him now, see what he believes. I asked him, I said, hey, you know, do you believe in, uh, you know, I, I've got a little pamphlet. Another gentleman passed out to me last time I was here. And it said that, it seemed like it says you've got to keep the Sabbath. I go, do you believe you have to keep the Sabbath? You know, we, he introduced, I said, what's your name? He says, his name is Albert. Nice guy, you know. I gave him a copy of uh, our, uh, one of our Marvel videos later after the conversation. And, I said, and he wouldn't answer me straight. I go, do you believe you have to keep the Sabbath to, to be saved? And he wouldn't answer. He said, well, I'm not going to say what they teach, you know, but this is what I believe. You know, I believe I should keep the Sabbath. Da, da, da. I go, hey, it's okay if you keep the Sabbath, if you want to keep the Sabbath. The Bible says one man esteems one day above another and another seems all alike. Between you and me, I go, if you want to keep the Sabbath, praise God. But I'm just making sure you guys aren't teaching people that they have to keep the Sabbath to be right with God because that would be the Galatian heresy. And I explained to him, the Galatians were saying you had to be circumcised or keep certain laws of Moses to be right with God. And Paul called that a false gospel. He says, if anyone comes to preach another gospel that which you preach, you let him be internally condemned. Radford says, I'm, 
concerned about you. I marvel that you all quickly so removed yourself from the grace of Christ to another gospel. It's really not another gospel. You began in the spirit, you know, but you're trying to be perfected in the flesh. Did you not receive the Holy Spirit through faith or by works of the law? And Paul says in chapter 2, verse 16, we're justified by faith, right? Amen. And not by the works of the law. And Paul says in Galatians 5 that you'll be cut off from Christ if you try to keep the law of Moses, if you try to be circumcised, right? And you, you'll fall from grace. So I gave him all those scriptures, by the way, most of all, if not all those, and many, many more. And he goes, well, I don't really want to say what they believe. So I realized, yeah, I think they believe. But you know what he said to me? He said, but I don't believe that you can, that I don't believe that salvation is a free gift, you know? He goes, I believe you got to earn it. you got to work for it. It's like, Albert, what are you saying? And then I said, if I give you my bag of groceries. Actually, you know, I don't think if it was a bag. I think I carried it all separately because it was enough not to put in a bag. I don't usually do that. So I lost a bunch of apples one time. I got them after they got bruised and rolling down the street. I'm like, sorry. <laughs> you know, rolling down the parking lot. <laughs> and I'm not even that, that much of an environmentalist. You know? So, but I, I said, if I offer you a bag of fruit, you know, or the, the fruit I have, and you took it, it was a free gift. And I said, okay, but I'm glad you took the free gift. But now you have to get all those shopping carts in the parking lot and bring them back here. If you're going to, you know, to really possess what I just gave you. I go, would that be a free gift, Albert? He's like, no. I go, I go, what Jesus did on the cross is to save us. You cannot earn it. It's a free gift. It's by grace through faith. Not of ourselves, gift of God, not of ourselves. And we had a great talk. But you know, I got thinking. In Roman Catholicism, they teach that you have to earn your salvation. That's not just something that some Catholics believe. Catholics, many Catholics believe that because they've been taught that. And that's why this is so serious. In fact, the Council of Trent says that if you claim that you're saved by grace through faith and not through works, you're accursed. You're anathema. That's funny. They just anathematized the Apostle Paul. They anathematized Jesus, who in John 5, 24, said that he that believes passes from death to life and will not come into condemnation. Amen? We're saved through faith. We believe that our works... And the fruit of our salvation is the fruit of our salvation. It's the result of the free gift. Amen? We don't do it to get the gift. We do it because we've received the gift. Amen? Oh, by the way, the Council of Trent, which is a, a council that was countering the Reformation and countering Martin Luther and the whole Reformation that was spreading throughout Europe, one of the counters was, if you say that salvation, it, it, the, the works are, are just the fruit of salvation and not to merit salvation, you're accursed, anathema. So you're cursed if you believe that. So you, many people don't realize that those who believe what we believe are cursed by the Roman Catholic Church. I'd rather be cursed by the Roman Catholic Church than by God. Hallelujah. And by Paul in the book of Galatians. Amen. I'll curse me all day long. Do all you can because, you, you know, I neither height nor death nor principle nor power nor other great thing to separate from your love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. Amen. Now, it's interesting because Mary has become so exalted and so honored that there's pictures of her throughout the Catholic churches, there's statues of her, there's parades done for her, there's adoration uh, done for her, uh, there's all kinds of things. There's bowing down before her statue. She's called the Queen of Heaven. 
in Jeremiah chapter 7, if you go there, you can please. Uh, Jeremiah chapter 7. The, God's people turned to idolatry. And guess what? Uh, people not content to worship the creator God. They want to worship someone else as well. In Jeremiah chapter 7, you know, verse 17 It says, do you not see what they are doing in the cities of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem? The children gather wood and the fathers kindle the fire and the women knead dough to make cakes for the what? Queen of heaven. And they pour out drink offerings to other gods in order to spite me. Wow. Do they spite me, declares the Lord? Is it not themselves they spite? To their own shame. Now Mary's exalted. You know, there's Catholic churches, they have Mary on the cross. Because she's called a co-mediatrix. First Timothy 2, in the chapter that we're in right now, verse 5, says there's only what? One mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. He is our redeemer. God says, I am the only Savior. Yet Roman Catholicism teaches that Mary helps bring about redemption. She's a co Mediatrix, she's a co-redemptrix. She stood by Jesus at the cross to help people get saved. She's at the right hand of God, not just Jesus. She's also, they teach, at the right hand of God. This is such a serious, serious false teaching. They call Mary the queen of heaven. They call Mary co-mediatrix, co-redemptrix. They call her most holy mother of God. Wow. They pray Hail Mary. They pray to Mary. Are we supposed to pray to dead people? Yes or no? No, that's, the Bible calls that the scene of necromancy. In Deuteronomy 18, 9 through 12, the Lord said, when thou art come to the land, when he brings him to the promised land, thou shalt not learn to do after the detestable things of those nations. There shall not be anyone found among you who practices mediumship or omens or witchcraft or wizards or causes their sons or daughters to pass through the fire, right? A wizard, a diviner, none of these things because all these things are an abomination, he says to the Lord. And there shall not be a necromancer found among you. Those are those who consult the dead. And in Isaiah chapter 8, verses 19 and 20, he warns them because some of them were trying to talk to dead people. He says, why do you seek the, the dead, when you could seek your God. Amen? Why do you seek the dead among the living? Why don't you seek your God? That's when he says the law to the testimony. If they don't speak according to this word, there's no light in them. But we're told now, the Roman Catholic Church says you can talk to all kinds of dead people. You can just pray to dead people, that, you know, Catholics that have died, that they want to call saints. Do you know what the Bible says about saints? The Bible basically says you're either a saint or you're an ain't. No, really. I mean, you're either a believer, you're a follower of Christ, or you're not. And the Greek word saints is from the Greek word hagias, which means holy ones, those who become, uh, are becoming like Christ, who have become saved. And Paul talks, he calls the churches that are struggling and not even doing good, that are like the church of Corinth. He addresses it to the saints at Corinth. That's a messed up church. But it wasn't just too few special people there. In fact, he was like coming down hard on them. The saints are true believers. But they have special people that they are special in Rome that they say are the saints that you can pray to and they'll answer you. There's a saint of this. There's a saint of that. There's a saint of this. There's a saint of that. 
You love animals, man? You can pick, pick you know, Frank, St. Francis of Assisi because he loves animals and he's a patron saint of animals and whatever. You can, by the way, they just took like the old gods because there were gods for everything, right? And they just made them saints he could pray to. And what happens is just like the Jews continue to fall into the worship of pagan gods, that's what happened to the many professing Christians. And that's what happened after the church joined with the political power known as Rome and Constantine joined with the church. You had a wedding between, can you imagine if the church joined Joe Biden? And we said, let's all just make us one. And we had Joe Biden here and we all just became fresh in religion with him. It wouldn't look like Christianity anymore. Well, that's what Rome did. They mixed Christianity with politics. It doesn't look like Christianity anymore. Oh, there's things where they believe certain things that we would agree with. They believe that Jesus is God and so forth. But guess what? The Galatians probably believe that Jesus is God. The Bible says the demons believe and they tremble. That doesn't mean they're saved, amen? You have to have the right gospel. Too many people say, well, well Catholics believe that Jesus is God. Well, yes, yeah, so do a lot of the cults. Although most cults will deny that he's God when you think about it. One is Pentecostals are a cult and they'll say that Jesus is God, but they'll deny the Trinity. But you can believe in the Trinity, but, you can all, but if you deny the Trinity, if you believe the Trinity and you're, and you're real good, man, I love the Trinity and you're, that's your deal. But at the same time you say, but you know what? I don't believe I'm saved by grace through faith. I believe I gotta work to earn my salvation. Well, then you're under the Galatian heresy. Right, see what I'm saying? Amen. So you got to say, well, they believe that, you know, similar things to us. They believe a lot of strange things as well. I think it's really interesting. By the way, Mary in many settings gets way more honor and glory than Jesus does. You know that. Jesus often is put on a cross still, still being crucified, right? Being brought down through the Catholic priest who basically through saying hocus pocus, that's where the word comes from, turns the bread into his real body in some way, some semblance of his real body becomes his flesh and that's a bloodless sacrifice, but it's so bloody in some way because you're drinking the blood of Christ in some way. When really you're not. By the way, when Jesus told his disciples to do this remembrance of me. It was even before he died, before he was crucified. Amen? He was right with them, and they're partaking of the bread. This is my body. They're partaking of the cup. This is my blood. Were they drinking, eating his physical body? Yes or no? No, he was sitting right there. Were they drinking his blood? No. He was sitting right there with them. It was symbolic. We know that. Amen. Amen. And we know that was symbolic because we know that, I mean, you've seen the Jewish satyrs, right? What are they doing at Jewish satyr? They get the afikoman out, right? There's three pieces of matzah representing Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They take the middle one out, which represents the Son. See so what they do in the Jewish satyrs all over the place. Thousands and thousands go on. They don't even know what they're doing. They break the middle one, just like Jesus was broken. Just like Jesus was, came from heaven, amen? And he was broken. The matzah represents him. It's pierced, just like Jesus was pierced. He's pierced for our transgressions. It's striped. By his stripes we are healed. It's bruised. He's bruised for our iniquities, amen. It's without leaven. He's without sin, amen. Then they break it, and then they wrap it at the Jewish shaders. We do Christ in the Passover here sometimes. Then they wrap it in a, in a piece of linen, just like Jesus was wrapped after he's crucified. Then they bury it somewhere. And then guess what? At the end of it, Whoever finds it gets, a, gets, a, gets blessed, gets a reward. Whatever, whoever finds a little kid, I found it. And everybody showers them with praise and ah, and they joy. Well, yeah, it's a picture. Now it's a picture of the resurrection. Amen? Hallelujah. You know the first Seder recorded in human history? The first Seder? Passover was given as a holiday, but you don't see Seders practice and give the detail given until Jesus in the Gospels. 
So they pick this up. God somehow in his providence, it seems, smuggled in this, this whole picture of Jesus, the bread. And the Jews are saying, whoa, this is great. And they're like, yeah, it is. Do you know who, how great it is? Jesus takes that piece of bread at the Seder and says, this is my body. This is a picture of me, this bread without leaven, because he's a sinless one, which is given for you. This cup, right? It represents his blood. His blood is still in his body. They weren't drinking real blood. And he says, I will no longer drink the fruit of the vine with you until I do it again with you in my father's kingdom. In other words, he didn't say blood. He called it fruit of the vine. Are you with me? Amen. It was still fruit of the vine. There was no hocus pocus Roman Catholic or Jesus turning into blood. They call it transubstantiation. Think of that word, transubstance, changing the substance. Girls do not become boys, transsexual. <laughs> boys do not become girls. You can't become a panda bear. You can say, I love bamboo, I love the climb trees. That does not make you panda bear. You don't get special treatment at the zoo, okay? I'm sorry. Well, I believe it. That's all it takes these days. No. Science says you're this or that. And neither does the bread become his body. If there's all these strange teachings going on right now, and people just buy into it. No wonder so many people reject Christianity when they think that it's just a bunch of weird magic. So strange. By the way, Mary gets so exalted. You know, as far as prayers to Mary, they have the rosary. You know the full rosary has 15 prayers that our Father who art in heaven, our Father who art, we call, we call it the Lord's Prayer often, but technically the Lord never prayed that prayer. We know that, right? We talk about that. He never prayed, Father, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. He never sinned, so he couldn't pray that prayer unless he prayed every other part of the prayer but that, you know? But his disciples' prayer, he gave it to us. I'm not, I don't have a hard time with people, people call it the Lord's Prayer. I'll probably say that again in the future because it did come from him. He gave it to us. But you know what? There's only 15 of those on the rosary. The full rosary is really big. There's only 15 of those on the rosary. You know how many Hail Marys there are in the full rosary? 10 times that many, 150 of them. Mary is, it's a doctor of demons, man. It's not, it's not the Mary of the Bible. Blessed, praise God, Mary is blessed, amen. The Bible says she's blessed and she'll continue to be blessed, amen. The woman who poured out uh, uh, perfume on Jesus' feet for his burial, he said her name would continue to be blessed and the story would continue to be told. She's blessed too. Don't go beyond the scripture. The Bible says don't go beyond what's written. What's happened is they've caricatured her and made her a goddess and distracted from the Lord Jesus Christ. You know what's interesting is Jesus does not want us to be distracted from, by his mother, his earthly mother. I know that because in scripture, there's people that begin to start almost like praising her. Boom, he steers them away from her, back to him and his word. That happens more than once. Oh, by the way, when you read the scripture, she's not sinless, is she? In fact, the Catholic Church, it wasn't until the 1800s where they invented it. I mean, these doctrines like the assumption of Mary and the idea that she had this immaculate conception that she was born sinless. By the way, for her to be born sinless, her mom would have been, born, her mom would have been sinless. You know that, right? And then her mom should have been sinless. 
then her mom had to be sinless. All the way back to Eve, and Eve certainly wasn't sinless. And they didn't teach immaculate conception until later. They didn't teach in the Roman Catholic Church that Mary assumed it was ascended to heaven and was sinless. It was at the right hand of God until much later. In fact, it was condemned by at least one prior pope, that idea. But it became part of their teaching of what they claimed to be truth. Yet what's interesting is look at what happens when Jesus, his mother, begins to get praised. Go to Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11, verse 27. Jesus is just rebuking them for rejecting him as the Messiah. Then we read in verse 27, while Jesus was saying these things, one of the women in the crowd raised her voice and said to him, blessed is the womb that bore you and the breast at which you nursed. In other words, Jesus, you're amazing, but you know what? Blessed be the womb. Blessed be the breast. And look what Jesus says in response. But he said, on the contrary, on the contrary, blessed are those who hear the word of God and what? Observe it. Jesus, by the way, is the word made flesh, amen? And it's a mirror of his heart. Rather, on the contrary, he says to them. And why was he so harsh, so strong? Because he saw what was coming. He saw that there would be mariolatry, idolatry, the worship of his mother. He knew that. says he knew all things. He anticipated that. And that's why these things are written down. So we see what was going on here. Look at Matthew. Go one book ahead of Luke. Matthew chapter 12. I love this. I remember when I was a little kid, man, I was brought up Catholic, you know. I wasn't a good Catholic, I admit, you know, because I was doing I read all the bad things, you know. And it was all just pageantry and foolishness. I didn't understand it. I didn't understand the gospel because it wasn't preached there. But it was my own carnal nature as well, fallen. But I remember when I became a new Christian, you know, I made my confirmation and all that, but I was doing drugs and chasing gals and smoking pot and taking acid and all those things and, you know, doing bad things. I can't even, I'm ashamed to even, I don't even mention, you know. Uh, but I remember when I got saved, I remember my mom saying to me, why don't you go? Because my parents were Catholic, but they weren't going to church. We weren't going to church anymore since we were like, I was like junior high or something. And I was, you know, why don't you go at least talk to the priest and give the Catholic church a chance? I said, Mom. And I was like 17, turning 18, right around that age, or just turning 18. And I go, because I'm reading the Bible, you know? And as, and I didn't know any Christians. I'm reading the Bible. I go, it's not Catholic. You know, <laughs> it's, I'm reading the scriptures. And by, at that time, I think there was probably only a Catholic Bible in the house I grabbed because it had, you know, the added books that the Jews didn't consider scripture, right? And, uh, but when I was as I was reading the, the, the New Testament, I'd see Jesus, you know, concerned about calling religious people names that were too reverent. Call no one father. Oh, the word father is used throughout the New Testament, but he didn't want us to use it of a religious title because you have one father in heaven, Amen. I thought, wow, these priests call themselves fathers. I'm reading Jesus. Don't pray repetitiously like the pagans do, who because the repetitious praying think that they're going to be heard by God. 
If that doesn't talk about something like the rosary, I don't know what does. Pray 150 Hail Marys, right? And I'm seeing all these scriptures. And I'm understanding the gospel, tears rolling down my face as a new Christian. Wow, look what Jesus did for me. And I was so set free. But I said, you know what, I'll go talk to him, see what, and I, was, I went down, I had a chat with a Catholic priest. I was already having Mormons come to my door, JWs, Joe Witness come to my door, and I'd seen what they all taught. The, the, the priest, he didn't believe the Bible. Oh, well, pfft, oh, started talking about, hey, it says this is gonna happen. Revelation, you know, he goes, well, we don't believe in that, you know. Now, that's not gonna say every priest the same, they're different, you know. But I thought, wow, you know. And then one of the priests that was there when I was a kid, Father Michael, so-called father, quote, end quote, so not fathers. He was the cool priest that they were happy about because when he came in, he looked young, dapper, you know, play, played acoustic guitar and all the kids came around him and then found out later, came out, he was a child molester. Well, that happens all over the place. And the Catholic Church, a lot of times, just moves them from one place to the other. True reality. I'd read in Scripture where it says, you know, Paul says that there's a doctrine of demons. 1 Timothy 4.1, the Holy Spirit speaks expressly that latter times some will depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of demons, right? Commanding them not to eat certain foods and not to marry. The Roman Catholic Church, man, I went, wow, you mean all those Fridays I didn't have to, I could have had meat? Well, my mom would usually cook fish, and I love fish, so at least we were pes pescatarians that night, you know? Could have fish with our vegetables. You know, uh, but that same scripture, can't eat certain foods, wow. And guess what? They'd forbid marriage. To be a priest, you can't be what? Married. So much for Peter being the first pope then. He had a wife, he had a, his, brought Jesus who healed his mother-in-law's, right? Healed his mother-in-law. He was married. The Bible nowhere says you can't be. In fact, the Bible says that all Christians are true Christians, are priests, amen? Male and female. First Peter chapter two, we're part of a royal priesthood, amen? It's awesome. You know, uh, Revelation chapter one, unto Jesus, right? You know, the, the prince of the kings of the earth who made us a kingdom of priests unto God, amen? Wow, we're a kingdom of priests. We're a royal priesthood. And all of a sudden, I'm, reading, I'm just reading the scriptures and seeing, wow, what a false system. Even doctrines of demons. I talked to the priest. I was like, that, last, that conversation lasted six, seven minutes. Heard all I need to know. Okay, denying scripture. See you later. You know? Well, in Matthew 12, 46, kind of interesting. It says, while he was still speaking these to the crowds, behold, his mother and brothers were standing outside seeking to speak to him. Someone said to him, behold, your mother and your brothers and standing outside. By the way, he has brothers, he has sisters. Mary was not a virgin, okay? I mean, there's so much false teaching around the Catholic Church about Mary. It's not the biblical Mary. Well, wow, the Catholic Church really exalts Mary. They really honor Mary? No, they don't. They honor a fabrication. That's not the Mary of the Bible. Just think the Bible warns about a different Jesus. That's not Jesus of the Bible. It's a different Mary. Mary, in fact, the Bible says that Joseph didn't know her sexually until what? Until after Jesus was born. 
he kept a virgin. But after, until, it says until after he was born. He didn't know her until after Jesus was born. In other words, then they knew each other. And guess what? A bunch of babies came out of that union. And someone said to him, Behold, your mother and your brothers are standing outside seeking to speak to you. Verse 48, But Jesus answered the one who was telling him and said, Who is my mother? <laughs> who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand toward the disciples, he said, Behold, my mother and brothers right here. Doesn't sound like he's honoring her as the queen of heaven, does it? He loves her, but he sees the tendency. Blessed is the fruit of your wombs and the breast that, that, that nourish you. No, rather con contrary. He said, blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Oh, bless my mother. Well, well, who are my brothers? Who's my mother? Who's my brothers? These disciples. Those, these, they're, my, they're my mother and my brothers. In fact, Mary and the disciples didn't even believe on him until after the resurrection. Mary believed for a while, then she was like pondering, confused. What is all this about, man? In fact, what's interesting, in the Roman Catholic Church, it's Mary, 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 Jesus. Mary, 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 Jesus. Mary, 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 Jesus. Mary, 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 150 times, 15 Our Fathers. I mean, it's just crazy. And she's beautiful out there, put up in the front for everybody to see. And Jesus is back there being crucified still, you know, on a cross. Amazing. By the way, if you go to your New Testament, go to Matthew chapter 1. Now, if you have a phone, what I'm going to ask you to do is it going to work the same, so you don't, don't do it. If you got a phone, no problem. And then go to the book of Acts chapter 1, if, you got a, if you're holding the Bible. You don't need to have a Bible to understand the illustration, though. And then you go to Acts chapter 1. And, you know, there you see in Acts chapter 1, verse 14. You can look at that verse if you want, if you've got a phone, too. Okay. And it says in verse 14, now hold Matthew 1, 1 in, one, in one part of your hand and then your thumb maybe around Matthew 4, 14. These all with one mind were continually devoting themselves to prayer along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus and with his brothers. Now take the rest of your Bible and go all the way to the book of Revelation but I'll still hold, still hold that other portion of your Bible. And you see that little tiny portion of the Bible from Matthew 1, 1 to Acts 1, 14. Mary's mentioned a few times here and there, not much. But after Acts 1, 14, throughout the entire rest of the Bible, she's not mentioned one time. Which shows you the Roman Catholic Church is way twisted. She's never called the Queen of Heaven. She's never called a co-mediatrix, co-redemptrix. Never, we're never told to pray to her. We're never told that she was a perpetual virgin. We're never told that she helped redeem us and that she continues to bring people to heaven through her own righteousness, which is what's taught in the Roman Catholic Church. We're never taught these things. Ever. From Acts 1.14, you don't see her again. Now you see a couple of her brothers. You know James, who wrote the book of James, which we'll be studying? He was the, the half-brother of Jesus from Joseph's side because Jesus... I'm sorry, from uh, Joseph's side. Jesus is only half-brother because of the side, the humanity he gained from Mary. That's the son of David, amen. Oh, Jude, he's another brother of Jesus. He wrote the book of Jude right before Revelation. What's interesting is Peter and James and John and Jude, 
And Paul never mentioned Mary. Why? Because she's not the queen of heaven. And by the way, turtle doves were sacrificed for her sins, her impurity. When you look, go back to the Gospels, because she needed atonement, that was a picture of Jesus. She cries out in her prayer, beautiful prayer, by the way. She calls God her Savior because she needed a Savior, just like all of us. Amen? Now, it's all quite interesting because we're told that Mary, you know, if you're Catholic, Mary will come before you for you to take you to heaven before Jesus ever comes. She's coming back. What do I mean? Well, according to the Catholic teaching, according to the New Catholic Encyclopedia, 1967, volume 12, page 1,115, we're told about the Carmelites and how Our Lady, it says, appeared to Simon Stock in Cambridge in 1251 and showing him a brown scapular declared that whoever wore it until death would be preserved from hell. And on the first Saturday after his death, he'd be taken by her to heaven. Wow. Taken to heaven. She's going to take you to heaven. And that's take from where? Well, if you die, where do you go? According to Rome, you go to purgatory. And you are in flames suffering for the sins that Jesus really couldn't really totally take care of. But if you die wearing that brown scapular, by the way, a papal bull. A papal bull is like the Pope's, you know, this is from the papal bull of Pope John the 22nd. Papal bull, interesting statement, huh? Way to describe it. Quote, we learned that Our Lady Mary, this is what the Pope said, he made this infallible teaching in the Catholic Church, we learned that Our Lady Mary wished to make it known to all that on the Saturday after their death, she would deliver from purgatory all who wore the Carmelites' scapular. So guess what? You could be saved from your venial sins, not by the blood of Jesus, but by the power of Mary through wearing the brown scapular that she has directed. And then she will come and take you out of the flames of purgatory. That is satanic. That wasn't Mary that appeared to them. I guarantee you it was not Mary. It was either a lie that was made up from thin cloth or inspired by demonic entities or a combination of both. Just absolutely amazing. Now Mary, her righteousness can contribute to your salvation. But wait a minute, our righteousness doesn't even contribute to our salvation, amen? We're saved by grace through faith, not of ourselves, gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. But they teach that her righteousness and the righteousness of other saints can help earn you salvation. In fact, this is uh, the treasury of merit. And the articles of Vatican I spoke of indulgences that were dispensed, good works that were dispensed on the behalf of others that could be used. And what they teach is that Peter, before Jesus died on the cross, he came to Peter and he gave him a treasury of merits. What's merits? Merits are what you use to earn things. But we don't earn salvation. Oh, in Rome you do. This treasure of merits could be used where Peter could get cupfuls of these treasures out of the treasury of merit. He'd take his cup and get these 
you know, because he's at the pearly gates, right, in Rome. And he could get this cup full of merits and sprinkle them on you. And then you have more merits to earn your way into heaven and earn your salvation. Vatican I says of these indulgences that are dispensed, they're dispensed from, quote, a treasury entrusted by Christ to the blessed Peter and his successors, Christ's vicars on earth, to distribute to the faithful for their salvation. Wow. It goes on to state the treasury includes the prayers and good works of the Blessed Virgin Mary. See, Mary didn't need to retain her salvation through works because she had no sin, so Jesus didn't even have to die for her. So all her good works, guess what? They can be used by people that don't have enough that she can help them earn their way into salvation. The treasury includes the prayers and good works of the Blessed Virgin Mary, plus the prayers and the good works of all the saints who attained their own salvation. Wow. Here's what the Roman Catholic Church says about this, quote, that the heavenly are that the treasury of those who attain their own salvation and at the same time cooperating in the saving of their brothers, those who believe in Christ have carried their crosses to make expiation payment of their own sins and the sins of others. That is rank heresy. Like if the Roman, when, when you look at Nephi, 2 Nephi, the Book of Mormon, and it, which it, it was the false book, you know, uh, it says that it denies salvation by grace alone. Joseph Smith did over and over, and you have to work your way to the celestial kingdom. You have to go through these temple ceremonies and wear hidden underwear and do all kinds of strange things. You go into the temple, which has been influenced by the Masonic Lodge. Joseph Smith was a Mason. They even had the upside down pentagram and the circle in the Masonic, in the, in the uh, Mormon temple. In the temple, their ceremonies, which they changed a bit, it, Satan would give you an apron, Lucifer, you know? We had Doug Sackett, who actually was the man as a former Mormon, continued to go to the Mormon temple and recorded their whole ceremony about how Lucifer confers upon you an apron that you need to get to heaven. Or the apron of the priesthood. Then after that, they changed what they said would never be changed. But in the Book of Mormon, it says, God, you know, you're saved by God's grace. Wait a minute, that sounds accurate. That part's accurate. But it says, you're saved by God's grace in the Book of Mormon. The second Nephi, after everything that you could do. Ha! So you're saved by God's grace after everything that you could do, meaning you've worked your rear enough, now he'll save you by grace because you've been a really good little boy or girl. And Joseph Smith, which I have this at home, is new translation of the Bible in chapter, in Romans 4, where Paul says, God justifies the wicked. And praise God, because when you came to Christ, were you righteous? No. No. You weren't like the, the guy at the Pharisee who, who said, I fast twice a week. You know, I'm not like that publican over there. I fast twice a week. I give to the poor. Jesus said, but the other man, he couldn't even look up to heaven. The tax gatherer, he beat his chest, said, God, have mercy on me. And he knew he was doomed. And Jesus said, which one of those two went home justified, right, with God? And they said, the publican. He goes, you're right. He went home right with God. God justifies the wicked. Aren't you grateful? But then he gives us new hearts, amen. amen. He makes us new creations in Christ, gives us a desire to do what's good. And that's all the fruit of salvation. Now we walk in righteousness. But that's the fruit of what he's done. But Joseph Smith took that verse which says, God justifies the wicked by faith. He, he wrote, God, he wrote, does not justify the wicked. And you and I will look at that and say, that is a perversion of the gospel. 
And adding good works as a means to earn salvation, we'll say that's a perversion of the gospel, more of us a cult. Well, why would we not say that about the brown scapular? Why would we not say that about purgatory? Why would we not say that about Mary's righteousness earning us salvation, which detracts from the glories of Jesus, who we should be exalting and honoring, who gave his blood for us, amen? The Bible says the soul is costly and nobody could pay for his own brother. But God became a man. It says he redeemed us by his own blood, the blood of God, Acts chapter, or Romans chapter, uh, Acts chapter 20 actually. More precious than corruptible things like silver and gold, the precious blood of the spotless lamb. Jesus is the one we should be exalting. He is the one we should be praising. You know, we come to fellowship and we sing praise songs to the Father, amen? In the Holy Spirit, we sing praise songs to Jesus, amen? You go around the Catholic Church, they have all kinds of hymns to Mary. You go to the Greek Orthodox Church, the Eastern Orthodox Church, you have songs to Mary. They bow down and, and give reverence to Mary. The statues, no kidding. Just like the Roman Catholic Church does. In fact, their, their liturgy states that you're damned if you don't agree with bowing down to Mary, statues of Mary. Do you know that? Just like the Council of Trent curses us and damns everyone who doesn't believe all the Roman Catholic false doctrines. This is serious, serious, serious stuff, you guys. In fact, I just want to make a couple more points. We'll call it an evening. Uh, now, it's funny because I was just reading earlier today that the claim that Mary isn't mentioned after Acts chapter 1, verse 14 is a false claim, although he didn't say that. The guy didn't say those specific words, but he was saying, you know, non-Catholics like to say that Mary is not mentioned in so much of the New Testament, you know. I go, yeah, that's right, not from Acts 1, 14 onward. He goes, but that's not true. She's mentioned again in Revelation chapter 12. Oh, man, don't say that to me. He's not talking to me because I'm, I'm like, we, we know by the grace of God the book of Revelation, don't we? Too much probably, right? No, not, you can never know it too much, but you know what I'm saying. Go to Revelation chapter 12. Let's see if it's talking about Mary. The Catholic Church will say this is talking about Mary. A great sign appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet and on her head a crown of 12 stars. So she's clothed with the sun, right? And the moon under her feet, and on her head are a crown of 12 stars. And she was with child, and she cried out, being in labor and in pain to give birth. Then another sign appeared in heaven, and behold, a great red dragon, having seven heads and 10 horns. And on his heads were seven diadems, and his tail swept away a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth so that when she gave birth, she might devour, he might devour the child. Verse 5. And she gave birth to the son, a male child who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. And her child was caught up to God and to his throne. Then the woman fled into the wilderness where she had a place. Now this is an important verse to understand what he's saying here. Then the woman fled into the wilderness where she had a place prepared by God so that there she would be nourished for what? 1,260 days. Okay, first of all, I am so glad it didn't stop at verse 5 describing what happens with this woman. You know why? 
Because then it would be just a battle over what's the best interpretation for this. Because most evangelicals, evangelicals will say, you know, this is definitely not Mary. This is speaking of Israel. Some will say the church. I believe it's definitely speaking of Israel. But it's definitely not speaking of Mary. How do we know that? Because this woman, after she gives birth to the son, and it is Jesus, but I believe it's speaking of Israel, because God prophesied that, right, that the seed of the woman would be the Messiah that would crush the serpent's head. Amen? Amen. Praise God for that, right? And God's word calls Israel over and over again a woman, God's wife even, right? And through her, the Messiah would come. Amen? Amen? Jesus came through the line of David. Now God used a physical woman, Mary, to birth Jesus, who was part of Israel. But here he's not talking about Mary. How do I know that for, for absolute certainty? Because of verse 6. Read it again. And then another thing I'm going to show you, you're going to go, ah, that, you're right, Joe, there's no way. But verse 6 seals the deal already. Then the woman fled into the wilderness where she had a place prepared by God so that there she would be nourished for what? 1,260 days. Wow. Now, brothers and sisters, how many years and months is 12,000, I'm sorry, 1,260 days? It's three and a half years, right? Or 42 months. What happens, how long is the tribulation period? Seven years. In the middle of the tribulation period, and that's technically, it's really called Daniel's 70th week, which is a seven-year period. It says in the middle of the week, that's three and a half years in, that's when the Antichrist will sit in the temple of God showing himself that he is God, and then he'll be able to he'll do what? He'll come against Israel, and he'll persecute the church, right? In fact, go to Revelation chapter 13. Verse 5. It says of the beast, there was given to him a mouth speaking arrogant words and blasphemies and authority to act for how long? 42 months was given him. Just a few verses later. This is the coming of the Antichrist, time of the Antichrist, and he's going to rule for 42 months, and he's going to make war against us Christians. We know that's coming. He's going to persecute Israel, but the woman, the Jews, well, many of them will be running into the wilderness, as the Bible teaches. And he'll nourish Israel and take care of her for what? 42 months or 1260 days. Where do the Catholics say that Mary is right now? Where? In heaven. Amen? Amen? And we believe she's in heaven too. We just believe in a different Mary than they do. But guess what? This can't be their Mary because the tribulation is still in the future. And we know the Antichrist, when he's done reigning, Christ will destroy him and end his reign and destroy him with the spirit of his mouth and the brightness of his coming. Amen. In Revelation chapter 19, he comes on the white horse and it says the beast was taken and with him the false prophet and they're both thrown alive in the lake of fire. That's the end of the 42 months. That's still future. This woman that's in the wilderness is being protected and nourished by God and it's not Mary. Amen. Yet the Catholics say, oh, well, here's Mary's mentioned again in the Bible later and this is the assumption of Mary. This is the assumption of Mary. This woman gave birth and, and then it fast forwards to the future where she's going to be protected by God in the end of days. Well, why does it use a pic, this picture of the sun and the moon? The woman's described as the, the, you know, the sun, the moon, the 12 stars. Go back to the very, go back to Genesis 37. The best interpreter of the Bible is the Bible. The Bible. Amen, Jim. 
Genesis chapter 37. Now remember, who's a wonderful picture of Jesus? Joseph. In the old, in, there's a lot of pictures of Jesus in Genesis. But one picture is Joseph. Because guess what? His brothers, the other children of David, remember the 12, all the 12 brothers, including Joseph? They hated on him. He came later. He was younger. Benjamin will be born after him. But you have all these brothers, and like, who's Joseph? And they're jealous of him, man, because he's having miraculous things happen, like these dreams God's giving him. And his father gives him a coat of many colors, and they're upset, jealous of him, just like his brother's descendants, the Jews later, would hate on Jesus, who was doing miracles and was favored by his father. And Joseph was rejected by his brothers. And he was rejected and sold into slavery by his brothers after he was thrown into a big pit and given over to the Gentiles and went to trial. Jesus was hated by the descendants of those brothers, the Jews from the 12 tribes, from those 12 brothers came the 12 tribes, and he was persecuted. And he spent time in a pit too, Caiaphas's courtyard pit. You can actually visit what they believe, many believe is Caiaphas's uh, pit where Joseph was, Jesus was being tried. And Jesus was handed over just like Joseph was to the Gentiles, the Romans. Joseph was so rejected, but God worked miraculously through him and fed the world bread. Remember that? Jesus was rejected, and through him, what happened? He's the bread of life for the whole world. Amen? Amen. What you meant for evil, he says, God meant for good. And there's, there's so many pictures there. It says God made Joseph a savior to them. Jesus, he's a picture of Jesus who is our savior. Amen? Just all those, I mean, there's, we can spend weeks literally just on Joseph being a picture of Jesus. But guess what? When Joseph was having dreams that they didn't like, one of his dreams was very interesting because he was letting them know that they were all going to bow down to him sometime. Because guess what? Jo Joseph was exalted to the right hand of Pharaoh because of providing food for the famine, right? Or I'm sorry, he, was already, he already got the right hand and then he provided food for everybody, the bread and so forth. And what's really interesting is Joseph told them that God was working miraculously in his life. He's given me a dream. He's described different dreams like he did at Pharaoh later. Seven skinny cows, seven shredded, you know, stalks of wheat. There's seven years of famine coming. But first there'll be seven years of plenty. Pharaoh, you need to gather up the food. And he fed the world. And who, who came at the end to get food? His brothers. And what did he do? He revealed himself to them eventually. And there was weeping. Joseph was bawling. But guess what? The bread of life is going to everybody in the world right now. Communion is being celebrated by hundreds of millions of people around the world. And guess what? One day, the Jews will cry out to Jesus saying, they'll cry out, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Jesus said you won't see him again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And when they do that, guess what? He'll come the end of those 42 months when Israel's in the wilderness and they'll see him. It says in the Old Testament, Zechariah chapter 12, verse 8 through 10, they'll see him who they pierced. Just like they saw Joseph. This is the one that we sold into slavery. Whew. But Joseph had mercy. They'll see the one they pierced. It says the 12 tribes will begin to mourn and weep as they would weep for so someone would weep for their only begotten son. And a fountain of cleansing will be opened and they'll be cleansed. But you know what? He said to them that he had a dream about them, these 12 brothers, mom and dad. Because those 12 brothers represent what, what? The 12 tribes of what? Israel. They represent Israel, the woman. 
And he says, and you were all bowing down to me. And they're like, what is he talking about? We're all going to bow down to him. They got, can you imagine your little brother saying, you're all going to bow down to me in the future? You get kind of like, what are you talking about? That's why they begin jealous of him. That's heavy. Boy, they want to kill him. Oh, by the way, you know the name of the guy who hatched the idea to betray him with money? Sell him to, for money? Which, which of the 12 brothers? That was Judah. Judah is a Hebrew name for Judas. Yeah, the Bible's deep, man. That's deep, man. It's all so deep. You know? <laughs> you couldn't make this stuff up if you tried. I'm getting chills right now. Praise you, Jesus. You're good. So you're going to bow down to me later. They didn't like that. He didn't understand how that was going to work. But guess how they're described in his dream? Those 12 brothers that represent the 12 tribes of Israel. Chapter 37, verse 9. Chapter 37, verse 9 says, I'm in the wrong chapter. It says, Now he had still another dream and related it to his brothers and said, Lo, I had still another dream, and behold, the sun and the moon and the 11 stars were bowing down to me. Now this time it's 11 because he's the 12th, right? They're all bowing down. Look at verse 10. He related to his father and to his brothers, and his father rebuked him and said to him, What is this dream that you have had? Shall I and your mother and your brothers actually come to bow ourselves down before you to the ground? They understood what he was saying. Now what's going to happen is later on, when they're starving to death, his dad Jacob is going to say, go and get some food from Pharaoh. I heard he's got food. He's feeding the world. They go down. And guess what the brothers do? They bow down before him, not even knowing who he is. And then he eventually reveals himself. And it's so intense because he forgives them and loves them. He says, bring my brother. Is, is there another that you have? It's a big story. I don't have time to get into the whole thing, you know. Now, it's the sun and the moon and 11 stars. Well, what about the 12th one? Well, that's the descendants of Joseph, right? All the descendants of Israel who believe in the Messiah will be saved, right? And they will all, they all make up Israel. Yeah, by the way, is this 11, are these stars here, is this all representing Mary or Israel? Israel, it's so clear. Yet the Roman Catholic Church say, oh, this is Mary, because they can't find anything on Mary, anything close to this about Mary. So they twist scripture to make it up. So I see the clock, and I just want to encourage you. Even when John bows down before an angel, God rebukes him, amen? Don't worship me, the angel says. Worship God, amen? Don't bow down before Mary. Bow down before Jesus. Because the name of Jesus is the name above every name, it says. It says that every, name will, every knee will bow. Zechar I'm sorry, Philippians chapter 2. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Amen. You're going to bow now or you're going to bow later. But everybody's going to bow for eternity. The thing is, if you bow to him now and say, Lord, thank you for making me. Thank you for giving me eternal life. I put my faith in you and put your trust in Jesus who died for your sins and rose again. You'll have eternal life. And we'll continue to worship the one who deserves all praise deserves all glory and honor and worship. Amen? And what we'll do is we'll say, we'll see Mary and we'll say, praise the Lord. Nice to meet you, sister. And if we say to somebody, hey, blessed be her paps in the womb and, 
and look at Mary. You know what Mary will say? Something like, no, rather blessed is my son who died for our sins. Give him the glory. I'm not saying that's exactly going to happen, but you know what I'm saying? That's the kind of thing that would happen. Okay. Can we all please stand?